Welcome to the Publishers Podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. In this episode, I'll bring you up to date on our latest online selections of important peer-reviewed research and reviews for Part 2 of our July-August 2020 issue. In this issue, we feature a new academic highlight section, as well as a new CME activity from cmeinstitute.com, where you can participate and earn free CME credit. Let's get started. The COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting quarantine have affected everyone by now, but how are they transforming the delivery of mental health care? Go online to read a variety of perspectives on COVID-19, including first-person accounts from physicians in France, Italy, and India, as well as case reports and thought-provoking commentaries on how the pandemic is impacting psychiatry and mental health. These offerings are freely available. To read them, visit us at psychiatrist.com and search on the keyword COVID-19. Electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT, is an important and very effective treatment option for older patients with depression. In a CME offering for this issue, a study sponsored by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the National Institute of Mental Health found that a very small proportion, less than 1%, of elderly patients with depression received ECT from 2014 to 2015. The study also showed that about one-third of patients who start ECT drop out before they receive a full course of the treatment. While this rate is similar to that seen in patients who start antidepressants, it suggests that clinicians should encourage patients to stick with the treatment to see if it is indeed helpful for their symptoms. The authors also found that patients who received psychotherapy were less likely to drop out early. This finding suggests that having sufficient time to speak with a mental health professional about concerns or side effects may encourage patients to continue receiving it. To read the full article, visit us at psychiatrist.com where you can earn CME credit. Acute agitation is distressing for patients, their families, and healthcare providers. It occurs with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, dementia, and autism, and can escalate into violence. Currently, there are few drugs available to treat acute agitation. In the emergency department, intramuscular injection, sometimes with restraint, may lead to sedation and psychiatric boarding. Patients may have to wait for a psychiatric bed and possibly experience further episodes of agitation. Patients with milder agitation may agree to take medication but require staff vigilance before slowly absorbed oral medication can start working. There is therefore an unmet need for a non-injected, rapidly effective therapy for acute agitation. In this clinical research study, sponsored by Impel Neuropharma and freely available online, researchers examined the safety, tolerability, and pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic effects of INP-105, a drug device combined of olanzapine and technology that delivers a powder formulation of olanzapine 
to the vascular-rich upper nasal space. INP-105 was given to healthy volunteers, and the researchers compared intrasubject pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic effects to those of intramuscular olanzapine, which is currently an approved therapy in acute agitation. Encouraging results were reported. Faster peak blood levels were found with INP-105 than with intramuscular olanzapine. Moreover, pharmacodynamic effects were quicker, and good tolerability was observed with this easy-to-use device. INP-105 could be suitable for use in hospitals, but also in community health care settings. The ability to self-administer the medication may give lucid patients the much-desired opportunity to self-manage their agitation. The authors conclude that this therapy may represent an effective, convenient, non-invasive, and well-tolerated alternative for treating acutely agitated patients. Two-thirds of individuals experiencing major depressive disorder, or MDD, also experience declines in cognitive functioning. This impairment has been shown to be related to difficulties with daily functioning, such as problems with social functioning and difficulties at work. Despite the persistence of cognitive impairment in MDD populations, treatment options are understudied and limited. In a CME offering for this issue, a systematic review offers a detailed overview of the positive effects of antidepressant and non-antidepressant agents on cognitive impairments in MDD. Overall, the authors conclude that vortioxetine, the first antidepressant recognized by the FDA for its procognitive effects, has the greatest support for its positive effects on cognition in individuals with depression. There is also evidence that bupropion, another antidepressant, may be procognitive. Finally, there is evidence that non-antidepressant agents used simultaneously with conventional antidepressants may exert positive effects on cognition. For example, modafinil, an agent used to treat sleepiness, has been shown to exert positive effects on cognition. Despite these findings, current research regarding the efficacy of drugs for cognitive impairment in MDD is insufficient. The current review offers researchers and clinicians practical information regarding which treatments to use and which treatments warrant further investigation. Visit the JCP website at psychiatrist.com where you can read this article in its entirety and earn CME credit. Major Depressive Disorder, or MDD, exerts a significant personal, economic, and societal burden. Increasingly, there is evidence implicating abnormalities in glutamate transmission in MDD. In particular, studies demonstrating fast and persistent antidepressant effects of the NMDA antagonist ketamine have supported this assumption. Researchers have hypothesized that chronic stress may ultimately lead, by way of a glutamate spillover, to a disruption of normal glutamate transmission via excessive activation of the presynaptic autoinhibitory metabotropic glutamate receptor type 2 or mglu 2 mglu 2 antagonists should correct this abnormal state and thus offer a therapeutic approach. 
In this randomized placebo-controlled study funded by F. Hoffman LaRoche and freely available online, the authors evaluated the antidepressant and procognitive effects of the mglu 2 negative allosteric modulator decoglerant in patients with an inadequate response to selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, or serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, SNRIs. A total of 357 patients were randomized to six weeks of double-blind treatment with placebo or with 5, 15, or 30 milligrams per day of decoglerant as an adjunct to ongoing treatment with an SSRI or SNRI. The primary endpoint, change in Montgomery Asperg Depression Rating Scale or MADRIS total score, was assessed by fully blinded centralized raters. Effects on cognition were assessed with the Cambridge Neuropsychological Test Automated Battery. At the end of treatment, the decreases in the MADRIS total score, response and remission rates, and effects on cognitive functions did not differ significantly between any active treatment arm and placebo. Overall, treatment with decoglerant was well-tolerated and associated with few side effects leading to study withdrawals. The authors therefore conclude that these results do not support the utility of adjunctive treatment with decoglerant in patients with MDD and inadequate response to antidepressants. The goals of schizophrenia treatment are to control symptoms, prevent relapse, and improve functioning. For many patients, these goals are not being met. In this CME Academic Highlights section, supported by educational grants from Alchemies, Utsuka, and Lundbeck, experts Christoph Corral and John Lorello discuss the reasons for, impact of, and means to reduce relapse in patients with schizophrenia. They discuss adopting a patient-centered approach that incorporates the use of patient-reported outcome measures and advice on selecting medications using a balanced risk-benefit assessment. Other recommendations include considering long-acting injectable antipsychotics as an alternative to oral medications and implementing psychosocial interventions that may improve adherence and help prevent relapse. To read this academic highlights, visit us at psychiatrist.com and earn free CME credit. Individuals with narcolepsy frequently encounter a long delay from the time of symptom onset to the time of diagnosis. How do you decide which patients need evaluation for excessive daytime sleepiness and central hypersomnias like narcolepsy? How do the diagnoses of narcolepsy type 1 and type 2 differ? In this CME brief report, supported by an educational grant from Harmony Biosciences, Dr. John Winkleman shares his expertise on how to lessen the time to diagnosis and reduce the negative impact of narcolepsy. Learn more about diagnostic strategies at cmeinstitute.com and earn free CME credit. There are concerns that stimulant drugs may increase seizure risk, but some studies also suggest otherwise. In a recent installment of his Clinical and Practical Psychopharmacology column, which is freely available online, 
Dr. Andrade considers these findings in the context of the study methodologies used. In another column, Dr. Andrade looks at four 2018 meta-analyses that evaluated the potential of baclofen to reduce craving and use of alcohol. These results are discussed with consideration of study design and observed adverse events. In closing, be sure to visit us online at psychiatrist.com to view the newest online offerings from Part 2 of the July-August 2020 issue and at cmeinstitute.com to explore interactive activities and earn free CME credit. Thanks for listening. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me next month for the publisher's podcast, Your Place for Psychiatry Soundbites.